verse 5. The heading is prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. May he add his blessing to this reading. I hope you've had a good week. My month has already been made up because in the last two days I've sold at least ten copies of my little book on Leviticus. Because people were surprised to hear that it is indeed a book of joy. Or perhaps again, that is just me. Let's start with the word of prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for this, your written word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the teaching that uh, we get from him about prayer. Not just in this short passage here, but throughout the Gospels. And I pray that you would give us clarity of mind and of speech and of hearing so that we even though it's a familiar passage to our ears, would leave here having heard something afresh, anew, or to refresh those little grey cells that go missing. And we ask this, Father, through the name of your Son, Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, who lives within all those who are your children, seals us as your children, and unites us as family. Amen. There we go. And tonight, as you are probably now well aware, we come to perhaps one of the the best-known passages of the Bible in what we call the Lord's Prayer. And most of us here tonight, I'm sure, are quite familiar with it, if not over-familiar with it. It is a prayer which is common to all churches of all denominations and none, just as it is known to those of other faiths and indeed of no faith at all. I'm sure uh, Dickie Dawkins says it regularly. So why the Lord's Prayer tonight? Well, it was laid upon my heart a few weeks ago, and I thought, nah, you're having a laugh, aren't you? And then I get slapped around the ears as I normally do. Again, perhaps that's just me. And personally, I find it helpful to regularly go back to the basics 
to what should be familiar territory for somebody who's been a Christian now for over 30 years. Because my memory leaks. So I need to go back and replenish it. And I need to be reminded of the things that we commonly call the basics. And so reflecting upon and pondering about what the Lord's Prayer means is part of those basics for me. And if you're not like that tonight, it is still a good thing, I think, to go back every so often and to be reminded. This prayer is recorded for us both by Matthew and of Luke. And Luke's account is written to enlighten those who need to know how to pray. And the Gentiles were, as I'm sure you're aware, his main readership. Matthew, however, is writing primarily to Jews who knew how to pray, but wanted to know how to pray correctly. So that is where we are tonight. But before we go on, let me say a word or two about prayer in general as an introduction or foundation. Prayer is to be at the centre of our relationship between God and ourselves. Prayer should be the major action of fellowship between God and humans and of humans communicating with God both in talking and listening. After all, a conversation is both talking and listening, isn't it? And prayer is also a way of letting God into our lives as people of God, Christians, and of enjoying the company of God, relating all aspects of life to him. Prayer is also a means of protection for us in that we are often too weak in our own understanding and strength to withstand all that is against us. God himself assists us when we pray, where our desires and our yearnings are corrected, amended and strengthened. Prayers expressing desires and thoughts offer a a contributory way to the journey that we are on as Christians. As we know and as we shall see shortly, The Lord's Prayer is is a superb biblical example of prayer. For prayer is ultimately what we humans were made for, conversing and communicating with God. All prayer consists of a desire or longing to know God better, and that is to be our prime motivation, to know God better. That is why it's a spiritual weapon. And it's also the reason Satan tries to stop us from praying. And he finds all sorts of ways, doesn't he? We get too busy? Well, let me tell you, the old, the people down through history used to spend three or four hours a day in prayer. And they'd often spend even longer if they were busy. So what excuse do we have? And prayer should reveal a constant hunger for God's help and consolidating our desire towards the ultimate goal eternal worship and knowledge of God. Prayer emits our words and thoughts from ourselves to the God we seek to know as a response to his reaching out to us. And through prayer, God is able to comprehend what the prayer is saying or thinking regardless of language, grammar or oratory skill or lack thereof. Words, however, are not just to be a mental action but also can be an emotive act conveying emotions and feeling. Prayer is to convey or can do deep emotions, feelings and expressions to God. And the words spoken in prayer can portray our innermost feelings and desires to him. Even if you're a bloke. Even if you're a bloke who doesn't like to express emotions, like the stiff 
upper lip Brits and Australian males in particular. So what if we're unable to express our words or thoughts in prayer? Then help is at hand. If for some reason we are unable to convey our words and thoughts in prayer, then the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and helps us. Prayer further symbolises the freedom and peace in prayer advocated by Jesus to communicate his deepest desires. And in praying, we also need to be willing to be the answers to our own prayers. And this is clearly seen in Luke's account of this episode and the other verses surrounding it. So with that brief introduction about prayer, let's now look briefly at what Jesus had to say about prayer as recorded for us in Matthew 6. This prayer is perhaps the most repeated prayer. It is said by those professing to be Christians and also by those who are not. It's usually called the Lord's Prayer, as you are well aware. However, it's not called the Lord's Prayer because Jesus himself would have prayed it. Jesus was sinless, as we know, and therefore he would have had no need to have said to God, forgive us our sins. It's called the Lord's Prayer because it was given by Jesus as a model for all prayers by those who are following him. Hence Jesus saying, how you should pray. Some people suggest the name, it should be called the Disciples Prayer, as it is only as we enter into a life of discipleship of Jesus Christ that we can fully start to appreciate its depth and meaning. Here is what one of the greats of the church history had to say about the Lord's Prayer. My mate Martin, Martin Luther. And we take it from his little book, A Simple Way to Pray. And remember, this is written in the 16th century. To this day, he's 52 years of age at the moment. To this day, I feed at the Lord's Prayer like a child with its mother, and as an old man, eat and drink from it and never get my fill. It is the very best prayer, even better than the Psalms, which is so very dear to me. It is surely evident that a real master composed and taught it. What a great pity that the prayer of such a master is prattled and chattered so irreverently all over the world. How many pray the Lord's Prayer several thousand times in the course of a year? And if they were to keep on doing so for a thousand years, they would not have tasted nor prayed one iota, one dot of it. In a word, the Lord's Prayer is the greatest master on earth, as are the name and word of God. Everybody tortures and abuses it. Few take comfort and joy in its proper use. Strong words, I'm sure that you would agree. And so with those words fresh in our mind, let's take a look together, albeit briefly, and I'm sure you're very glad to know, on each line of this prayer and see what we can discover together as we explore. Discover about God, discover about ourselves and discover about prayer. So we start, Our Father in Heaven. Jesus starts off by call, calling out to God as Father or Daddy. Of course, this was Jesus' own approach to God. 
Jesus alone had that intimacy and relationship with God as his dear father. This kind of approach to God was pretty much unheard of and unknown at the time. Although in the, Psalm, in the Psalms, David does refer to God as his father occasionally. But it is not just Jesus who can approach God on such intimate and personal terms. He says that all people can. And we can approach as individuals, but we see that it is also together that we go as a family. Hence the word, our. So how is God Father? The defining function of God the Father is that he is the Almighty who intervenes, sustains and provides for all things. He is the perfect Father. And by calling God Father, this implies that God is in a personal relationship with the person. God is not impersonal, but wants to be approached intimately, just as a child approaches its daddy. It's also significant because by calling God our Father, we should realise that we are not alone in our approach, but are part of a wider church family. Isn't it so easy to forget that? For the Christian, God is Father because Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And we as Christians uh, have been adopted as heirs and as children by God. And what's more, we cannot ever be separated from the love of God. Isn't that just amazing? God is our Father only because Jesus was the Son of God and claimed us by his death on the cross to be his brothers and sisters. And because of this, we have new life and a new family and God the Father, as I said, is a perfect Father. It's also significant because by calling God our Father as Christians, and as I've said just before, we should realise and remember that we are not alone, but that we are part of a wider church family as we pray. Again, hence that three-letter word, our. Again, I mean, it must be just my memory, but it's so easy to forget, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who does. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means honour as holy or to revere highly. Holy is what God is. And what do we mean by that? The holiness of God is the moral excellence and perfection of God in all his ways. He is worthy of our reverence, praise and awe. He is to be hallowed. And when we pray this, we are saying that God is holy and it is symbolic of our intimate adoration of him as our Heavenly Father. It means that we are to place God and his purposes at the very top of our list. God is and wants to be our number one priority in all aspects of life and the world. God's glory, God's kingdom and his will are to be our supreme concern, high above our own needs. Does that define your relationship with God? The Christian is to partake of the Father's nature. As a Christian, you are declared holy because of what Jesus did on the cross, breaking the barrier between God and humanity. Therefore, we as Christians are declared holy, and therefore we are to live a life worthy of following God and showing a hallowed God. As a Christian, the Holy Spirit is transforming us, 
you and I into the very image of the Holy One, Jesus. As Christians, we're to live out our faith in holiness. We can ask the Holy Spirit to help us, and he will. Sometimes in the most amazing ways. Is that your testimony? It's my testimony. I wouldn't be here without the Holy Spirit, having been sent back twice. Your kingdom come. God is a king and he rules. This is where we as Christians pray that God's message, the gospel, will spread far and wide. God's kingdom will grow until the time when Jesus returns in glory to rule with majesty and honour. And God wants everyone to be in his kingdom. That's why we have to go out into Ringwood and into the world in all means. This is also prayer in action because every Christian is to be a faithful witness to God. We're either a bad witness or a good witness. There is no in-between. We're to tell and show people about the God of this kingdom and exhibit his values. And as we do that, it reflects and shows that God is being hallowed. And not everyone, as I'm sure you're aware, is called to be like Billy Graham. Thank goodness. However, all Christians are to do the work of an evangelist and to be an effective witness for the Father. And why are we to tell others about this kingdom? Well, one of the prime reasons is out of gratitude for what God has done for us, in that we love God because he loved us first. 1 John chapter 4, that's from, in case you're wondering. And God's kingdom is no longer limited to a particular country or confined to geographical boundaries. No, God's kingdom is now global. So when I say we want to return the UK to being God's country, or the USA, because they like to say it over there, and when I'm over the States, you do not know how I have to keep my mouth shut. Yes, so we better go on. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As God is hallowed and he is a king, his will is already being done in heaven. We as Christians are to pray that life here on earth will approximate to life in heaven. We as God's children are to be wanting to place God as number one priority in all aspects of our life. And we are to see that God's kingdom is spread using all available methods and we also pray that God's will will be top priority as well. There are three priorities for us as Christians. God will be number one, his kingdom will spread, and his will will be done on earth. And part of God's will is the freedom he has given humanity to choose, to follow him or not. If God had not given free will to humanity, then that would not be the act of a loving God, would it? And we all know that God is love. Give us today our daily bread. This signifies that we as Christians need to rely on and trust in God for all things that are necessary for life to continue here on earth. And often, particularly in the Western world, we rely on our own finance, our own goods, and our own ability to supply our needs. And we forget, don't we, 
that God has already provided our needs that way. It's not just our present needs that Jesus is referring to, but it seems as if we're also to pray for our needs of tomorrow, our needs of the future. And as Christians, we are to be thankful for all the good gifts that God our Father has given us and supplied to us, often given without our needing to ask him, isn't it? Supplying needs involves caring for the weak and healing the wounded. You and I are to do likewise. When we help God supply the needs of other people, this helps God answer the prayers of other people. Let's this week go and be an answer to somebody else's prayer. If we see a need that we can fulfill, then why don't we fulfill it? And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Debts refers to sins and debtors refers to those who have sinned us or wronged us in some way. And we remember that Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience and this was the way that mainstream Jewish thought of sins or trespasses against God was seen. It was seen as debt. And we can see that with more clarity in the parable of the unmerciful servant of Matthew chapter 18. Forgiveness, of course, is a major part of Christianity, both in the way that God forgives us when we come to him in penitence and repentance, but also in the way that we as Christian disciples forgive others, including ourselves. And from personal experience, asking for the forgiveness of others that I've sinned against or wronged in some way, I know you find that very difficult to believe about me. I find it very hard to do that sometimes, don't you? But we need to do it, and indeed it is an imperative that we do it. In times like that, when it's so difficult, we need to stop and consider Jesus and the enormity of his forgiveness of us. If he forgave us for all that we have done wrong, then we should also forgive others. And we can always ask the Holy Spirit to help us, can't we? And forgiveness deals with our emotional responses towards an offender. Forgiveness enables us to have the same openness toward the person after they offended us. And when we forgive the offender, the hurt and the wound will start to heal and diminish. It is then when we realise Jesus Christ understands and we can use these experiences for our advantage. Who doesn't like cream, eh? Alfie does, I know that. And lead us not into temptation. Temptations, trials of life and testings are, I'm sure you are equally aware, are an undeniable and inevitable fact of life. But it's good to know that these are common experiences for all Christians and not just for us as individuals. Again, it's so easy to forget that. An important thing to note is that temptation, trials and testings are not in and of themselves sin. Rather, it is the giving into temptation which is sin. 
Sin is anything that leads a person to disobey God. So we are to pray that we do not succumb to temptation to disobey God by action, inaction or attitude. And as we've noted, it's not just temptations that Jesus mentions here. He also means the trials of life. The Christian is to overcome temptations, testings and trials in order that our character may, through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, become more like Jesus. If we ask for his help, he will help, again, often in the most surprising of ways. But deliver us from evil, or deliver us from the evil one. Old hairy legs, Satan's the chief tempter of the Christian, isn't he? Often we have to tell him to go get his legs waxed. It's he who suggests to the Christian disciple that they do not need to forgive others, isn't it? Have you heard that little voice come into your head? You don't need to forgive them, mate. Just forget them. Now I mean, it's Satan who doesn't want God to be number one in our life, isn't it? It's Satan who says, put your trust in your own needs. Put your trust in yourself, mate. Don't you trust God, he'll let you down. He whispers. It's Satan who doesn't want God's will to be done on earth, as in heaven. It's Satan who doesn't want God's kingdom to be spread. And neither does Satan want Jesus Christ to return in glory. But guess what? He is. And Satan's already lost. He already knows it. And he wants to drag as many people away with him as he can. And therefore, as Christians, we're to pray for these things. We need to rely upon and trust in God for delivering us from Satan. Satan is the one who wants to snatch our inner joy and peace and take away our utter dependence upon God for all things. And probably the best way to oppose him is to grow as a Christian and submit all to God, remembering that our love of God must always be stronger than any other love. That way we overcome the trials, the temptations, the testings to the praise and honour of God our hallowed Father. We're getting there, don't worry, not too much longer. For yours is the kingdom and the power. Always miss one. So how can God deliver us from these things? From temptation, from trials, from testings, from Satan. God can because, remember, God is king. Forever is his kingdom and he's always all-powerful and eternally almighty. And we as Christians can rely on God's strength to overcome temptation, trials and Satan when he comes sniffing around and we are not to rely on our own strength. Because if we rely on our own strength, guess what? Failure is imminent. However, by trusting in God and his power and strength, we can overcome temptation, trials and Satan and it's assured for us as Christians. God has unlimited power to do all things that are the object of power. With Almighty God, nothing is impossible. Yet there are things that God cannot do, such as he cannot do anything that is contrary to his own nature. 
For example, no, we won't go into that. If God were not all-powerful, then he would not be God and he would not be worthy of worship. And when facing temptations, trials and Satan, we can rely on God's power, can't we? Is that your testimony? It's my testimony. It's a testimony of many Christians down through history. And the glory forever. What is our aim to be as followers of God, as those who are called to be his children, those of us who are Christian disciples? We are to get make, to give and to make sure that all glory goes to God, regardless of what personal achievements have been gained or won. And here's a question for Derek. What do we mean by glory here? Those of you who are at Well Disciple will understand. By glory here, we mean the highest renown and honour. And to give God glory is being aware of a constant state of exaltation to God. It's to ensure that he gets the praise for his magnificence and the brightness of his being. That's the glory of God. The glory of God is to be a supreme concern as we are his children. We are his family. Why? So that God can be visibly seen to be number one in the life of all those who claim to be Christian, claim to be his children, claim to be in his family, and claim that his will is done in this world in our lives. How's that for a definition of glory, Derek? If he's here. Oh, there he is. Is that all right now? Have we sorted that? Good, thank you. Bless you. And additionally, it's to be that God's kingdom continues to grow until Jesus returns. Just one more person into the kingdom. One more. One day we'll find out who is there because of us, won't we? Maybe there'll be some surprises. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul expresses that God is working in you. It is he who is giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. It's not in our own strength, it's in his power and strength that he uses us. And as Christians, as we serve God in and all others in many ways and opportunities open to us, it is to be for the glory of God to be released. True service shows and reflects the beauty, honour and glory of Jesus to those who are being served and to those who are looking on. God's glory and supremacy is to be the goal and chief concern of all of us who would call ourselves Christians, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. Does it describe our service of God and others? And finally, finally, the Amen. May it be so, Lord. That's what Amen means, as I'm uh, sure you know. Let me read to you what our mate Martin Luther comments about the Amen. Again, from that little book, A Simple Way to Pray. It was written to his barber in the year 1535. 
He writes this. Now, remember, this is the word amen. Finally, mark this, that you must always speak the amen firmly. Never doubt that God in his mercy will surely hear you and say yes to your prayers. Never think that you are kneeling or standing alone. Rather think that the whole of Christendom, all devout Christians are standing there beside you and you are standing among them in a common united petition which God cannot disdain. Hence the hour word again. Do not leave your prayer without having said or thought, Very well, God has heard my prayer. This I know as a certainty and a truth. That is what Amen means. However, let's wrap things up now. About the Lord's Prayer, some say that we we shouldn't pray the Lord's Prayer at all. They say something like this, and I've had it said to me. It's interesting that Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer as a how-to prayer, not a what-to pray. It's all about how you should pray, not what you should pray. So the teaching of the Lord's Prayer is Jesus teaching his disciples and ultimately us the sort of things that we should be praying for. Well, that is, of course, their choice. Yes, quite patently, it is primarily an example and a how to pray, but I personally think that it is also a what to pray. Is there anything particularly wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer back to God? Well, no, not if your heart is in it and you truly mean the words that you are saying. We do well to also remember that Jesus did not say repeat these words over and over and over again, babbling on like the pagans and the idolaters. He specifically told them and us not to do so. Notice his words quoted of Matthew 6 verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. In contrast to long-winded prayers, This prayer is brief. I think there's about 79 words in the original Greek. To the point, and it wastes not a word. May it be that our prayers are also like that, or aim to be like that. Don't be afraid to pray because you think you might have the wrong words. God will understand. And next time that we pray this prayer, or indeed go to pray, let us try to reflect upon and accept the wisdom, or try to remember at least one thing from this about prayer. Mean what you say when you say these few words. Let's not let our familiarity with the words be a hindrance in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Let Jesus' teaching here on prayer affect our whole prayer life, as individuals and as a church. Let's go pray, remembering that part of prayer is listening. As I said, a lot of men and women down through church history, such as Martin Luther, would spend at least three hours a day in prayer. They would think, we're a bunch of slackers, I think. Including me. So we're going to have a song now.
But first I'll pray, and then we'll pray this prayer together afterwards with a little bit of a difference, in which we will hopefully find comfort and joy of God as a result. So let's pray. Father, thank you for these, your words. Thank you for your, again for your, your son, Jesus. Thank you that while we may come to you individually, and whether we like it or not, we are part of your family. Help and teach us to pray, O oh God, so that we may come to know you better and better each hour, each day, each time we come to you. For it is to your glory, honour and majesty that we seek to serve you, our great King. Father, accept these prayers and these words and these songs and every aspect of this service. To you be the glory, to the praise of your Son, Jesus, in the strength and the power of the Holy Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Amen.